0: We pray, dear Jesus, uh, we thank you for the miracle that is the Bible. We thank you for the way that you've inspired it and and laid it down for us. But thank you for the opportunity to overhear conversations that you had and to learn from other people. Bless us today as we study a little bit about your relationship with Peter, as we see your forgiveness and love. uh, Fill us with confidence in your forgiveness and love for us. Bless our time studying your word this morning. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. How many of Jesus' disciples could you list? Shane's not allowed to do it because he did it before church. And for your information, I think he did get all 12, which was quite impressive. Um, Could you list all 12 of Jesus' disciples? I don't know. Could you list five or six? Maybe. At least we would probably get Judas. Uh, I talked about that before church as well. But I think on anybody's list, even if they could only list one or two disciples, there's one name that would probably be one of the first ones people think of, and that is Simon Peter. Peter, without a doubt, is Jesus' most famous disciple. And then as you read the Gospels and you learn to know the disciples, it's not hard to understand uh, why Peter is so famous. It's because he had such a huge personality. right? Peter was very bold... He was very fearless. He tended to act first and think later, which led to all sorts of memorable episodes from throughout Jesus' ministry. So here's a few of them. Maybe you remember this day. um, Jesus' disciples are in a boat on the lake, and it's storming at night. And so they're in this terrifying dark storm. And in the midst of all of this, they see a figure walking towards them on top of the water, and it's Jesus. And all the disciples are so scared, they're covering their faces in fear. Do you remember what Peter did? He basically said, that looks really cool. Can I I do it too? Like, Jesus, would you let me walk on the water out to you? And Jesus let him do it. you would say, classic Peter, right? Um, Here would be another one. Do you remember the day that Jesus brought just three of his disciples to the top of a mountain? It was the mountain of transfiguration. And so on that mountain, Jesus let Peter, James, and John see a little glimpse of his glory. And it was so beautiful, it was so blindingly you know, bright that the disciples hid their faces and cowered in fear. Except for Peter. You remember what Peter's suggestion was? Like, Jesus, I have an idea. Can we build three shelters and just kind of stay here permanently forever? Because this is really awesome. Again, classic Peter. Or maybe you remember this one. It was a time when Jesus was explaining to his disciples how he was going to suffer and die. And Peter started to argue with Jesus in front of everybody. And he said, no, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. We're not going to let it happen. You'll never suffer and die like this. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Because he recognized Satan tempting him through his disciple. Um, And he said, you don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And so finally Peter quieted down. Again, classic Peter. So for better or for worse, this is who Peter was. He's this huge personality. He's bold. He's fearless. He was never afraid to speak his mind. Until the day that he was. And the day that Peter was afraid to speak his mind was actually a night. It was the night of Jesus' arrest. This might be ringing bells from a few weeks ago when we had a holy week and we talked about these things. But at his last supper with his disciples, Jesus warned them. And he said, I'm warning you, this very night, all of you will fall away. True to form, Peter spoke up and objected. And he said, no, we won't. We're not going to fall away. Well, maybe they will, but I'm not going to fall away. Even if everyone else falls away on account of you and I am the last man standing, I never will. And Jesus responded, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You will disown me three times. And as you might recall, that's exactly what happened. After the Jewish soldiers arrested Jesus and they hauled him off to his trial, all of his disciples had kind of scattered in fear. But then Peter got some boldness back and he followed Jesus to the high priest's house and Peter was warming himself by a fire out in the courtyard, kind of keeping an eye on the trial inside. And a servant girl came up to him and she said, aren't you one of the disciples of the man that's on trial inside? I'm pretty sure that I've seen you with him before. And Peter said, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen that man. I'm not even talking to you. I'm just staying warm by the fire. Stay away. I don't know what you're talking about. Three times in that courtyard, people came up to Peter and they said, are you sure that you're not a follower of Jesus? I could have sworn that I saw you with him. In fact, your Galilean accent is is giving you away. But Peter was so afraid of being caught that he started to call down curses on himself. May God himself strike me down from heaven if I have ever had anything to do with Jesus of Nazareth. And as soon as he said that, a rooster crowed. And in the next moment, Jesus came walking out in chains, led from one building to the next in the middle of his trial. And he was led right past Peter in that courtyard. And Jesus turned, and it says in the Gospels, he looked straight at him. And can you imagine the disappointment in Jesus' eyes? So then Peter went outside... And he wept bitterly, it says, crushed by guilt, crushed by failure, so ashamed and so disgusted with himself. He had talked this big game a couple hours earlier, and and now when all the chips were down, he had completely failed. The next day, when Jesus died on the cross, Peter was nowhere to be seen. So that's it. We don't hear anything about Peter For three more full days, the next time we hear about Peter, we can only imagine what's going on in his heart and in his mind, right? The the next time we hear from Peter is on Easter, when these reports start to come back from women who had visited the grave saying that someone has rolled the stone away and Jesus' tomb is empty. So Peter and John went to investigate... John writes that he ran to the edge of the grave and and looked in and it was empty. And then Peter arrived a little bit slower, maybe a little more out of shape. In classic Peter fashion, charged all the way into the tomb, looked all around. Yup, it's definitely empty. There's nothing to see in here. Didn't know what to make of it. So Peter and John went back to the city. And then later, on Easter Sunday, Jesus started to appear to people. And he appeared to two disciples on the road. And he appeared to ten disciples Easter evening. And he appeared to eleven disciples a week after that. We've been studying this throughout our series, right? And Peter was a part of those groups. So he saw Jesus alive. And like the other disciples, he's overwhelmed and amazed and so joyful that Jesus has risen. And yet at the same time, Peter has got this unsettled feeling inside Because he and Jesus have not yet talked about what happened on that night. So that's the state that Peter is in when we get to our text for today. Which is really a continuation of last week's text. It's the third resurrection appearance of Jesus to all of his disciples. But this is where Peter's head is at. He's excited, of course, that Jesus is alive. And it's clear by now that he is. But he's got that unsettled feeling. There's a lingering conversation that hasn't happened. And it's uncomfortable. So, unsure of what else to do, we heard this last week. Peter and the other disciples go back to their old job of fishing. And they're fishing all night. They catch no fish. In the morning, they hear a stranger's voice calling to them from the shore. It says, cast your nets on the right side of the boat, and then you'll find some. So they lower their nets down, and immediately the nets fill up with this gigantic, incredible, miraculous catch of fish. If that miracle sounds familiar, it's because it was. We reviewed this last week as well. The day that Jesus called Peter, James, and John from being fishermen to being his disciples, he did it with a miraculous catch of fish. So as soon as this happens, they sort of all realize who Jesus is at the same time. John says, it's the Lord. But then we look at what Peter does. And I think it's interesting to evaluate his actions now that we kind of know what's going on in in his heart. Um, So as usual, Peter's very bold and impulsive. As soon as he sees that this is Jesus, he wraps his outer garment around him, he leaps into the water, he swims to shore ahead of everybody else, and and he falls at Jesus' feet. He's the first one there. Everybody else follows with the boat, and then they're sitting talking, and, and so then when Jesus says, why don't you take some of these fish that you just caught and let's have breakfast, John records for us that it's Peter who quickly springs up, runs to the water's edge, and starts trying all by himself to haul this giant net up the shore. Don't worry, don't worry, Jesus, I got it. Don't worry, Jesus, I'm on it. Like, do you see what Peter's doing? He, he has so much nervous energy. He's, he's jumping all over the place. It, it's like a, he's like a dog that hasn't seen his master in a couple weeks. And he's just like, Jesus, what do you need? Jesus, I'm here. But beneath all of that eager energy, there is something really sad that's going on inside of Peter. He's totally consumed by guilt. He is just being eaten alive by guilt. How is he ever going to make it up to Jesus for the way that he has failed him? How is he ever going to make it up to Jesus? Is it ever going to be enough? Do you ever feel that way in your relationship with God? where you're, you know, you're eagerly jumping to obey God's commands. Here am I. Send me. Like, tell me how to serve. Tell me what to come to. I'm in. I'll read this. I'll do this. Right? You're, you're living the Christian life. But it's not coming from a place of peace and happiness. It's coming from this place of guilt. Because you're trying to make it up to God for all the ways you've failed him. And you wonder, is it ever going to be enough? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever found yourself to be operating that way? I think really all of us have felt this way in our relationship with God at times because this is the way that all of our other relationships normally operate, right? If we break something, we have to fix it. If we cause a problem, we have to solve it. If we lose someone's trust, we have to gain it back again. That's kind of just how relationships work. So we assume that's how it's going to work with God. And we've all had days, right? We've all had times when we have let God down, like Peter, where despite all of our good intentions, we fell short. Maybe we had a plan in place where we were going to defeat this specific temptation, right? We were all set. We knew the temptation was going to come. We were going to say no to it. And then when the time came, we fell into it again. Or maybe we had a plan in place where we were going to share our faith with somebody, We have a friend that we know has a Jesus-shaped hole in their heart, and they need to hear about God's love. And so, like, we've thought about it, we've prayed about it, we've planned for it, and then when the moment comes, we just let it pass us by again. Maybe we had a plan in place to stick up for somebody, someone who's being actively bullied at school or at work, or maybe someone who more passively is being talked about behind their back, and it's like it's crossed a line. It's gone too far, and so we've said to ourselves, I'm going to stop this. The next time, I'm going to step up and defend that person. And then when the moment comes, we fail, and we just silently go along with the crowd instead. We've all had times where despite our best intentions, we've let God down. So, what is our response when we let God down? Sometimes our response is that we church even harder, right? I'm going to church even harder. So I'm going to get to church earlier. I'm going to stay at church later. I'm going to attend an extra Bible study. I'm going to give an extra offering. I'm, I'm going to sing twice as loud this morning. I'm, everything that I can think of, right, I'm going to church harder. And, and none of these things are, are bad things to do. I mean, certainly appreciate the singing volume, especially with a smaller group. Um, but the problem is the motivation. Motivation. Right? The problem is the motivation. I, you wonder, how often is our good religious life, not just at church, but just in general, our good religious life, how often is it motivated by trying to make up to God for all the times that we have failed him? And when have we ever made up enough? But we think this way in our relationship with God because this is how every other relationship normally works. But in our sermon text today, All of this gets blown up. As we see Jesus talking to Peter, we are reminded that our relationship with God is totally unlike any other relationship that we have, especially when it comes to our failures. So let's see what happens here between Jesus and Peter. It says, When they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him for a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? The night of Jesus' arrest, Peter had denied him three times. He had failed to show his love for Jesus three times. So now, Jesus gives him three do-overs. And they're not hard do-overs. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Okay, we're good. Jesus says to Peter, you and I are good. My question for you, how does this possibly make up for everything Peter had done to Jesus? Like, he hid in fear and shame, he lied and called down curses upon himself, he would said he was going to stand up for his best friend, and then he let his best friend get crucified because he was too afraid to step in. How does a couple times saying, I love you, possibly make up for what Peter had done to Jesus? Well, it doesn't. It doesn't make up for it. Of course it doesn't make up for it. Peter could never make up for the way that he's failed Jesus. But he doesn't have to. Because you know who already made up for the way that Peter failed Jesus? Jesus did. That's why Jesus had lived this perfect life where he's totally consistent, he's totally reliable, he never lets anybody down, he never lets God down, he never sins even once. The reason Jesus lived that kind of life was so it could count for Peter. And that's why Jesus went to the cross and suffered not just the pain of crucifixion, but suffered God's punishment for all of human sin, so that it could count for Peter. Peter didn't have to make it up to Jesus, because he was already forgiven. Jesus already forgave him the moment that he walked by and made eye contact with him in the courtyard, before he had even gone to the cross and finished making that payment. Jesus already forgave Peter. And Jesus has already forgiven you. Let's say it again because it's important. Jesus has already forgiven you. No, you haven't fought against every temptation the way God wants you to. No, you haven't shared your faith maybe the way that God wants you to. No, you haven't stood up for other people and defended them when they're in need the way that maybe God wants you to. But you're already forgiven. Because Jesus' life counts for you. And Jesus' death counts for you. and Do you believe that? Then you're good. You and God are good. So our relationship with God is just unlike any other relationship in our life. Because in this relationship, when we break something, God fixes it. When we cause a problem, God solves it. And when we feel like we've lost God's trust... He gives us another chance. That's exactly what he did for Peter. So these final verses then are fascinating. Jesus and Peter are continuing to walk along the beach and Jesus says, very truly I tell you, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Those last two words are so important on multiple levels. Follow me. So here's level number one. Remember three years ago when Jesus had done a similar miracle and called Peter to be his disciple? This was his words. He said, follow me. So now he's recalling Peter. In spite of everything you've done, you're forgiven. I still want you to be my disciple. I still want you to be part of my mission. Follow me. But the second layer, Jesus has just said, someone's going to stretch out your hands and lead you where you don't want to go. And he said this to indicate the kind of death that Peter was going to die. If you attended Bible study, you're not allowed to answer this question. Does anybody know how Peter died, according to history and to tradition? He was crucified. And as we said, according to tradition, it ended up being upside down because he said, I'm not worthy. Flip me upside down. We'll talk about that at a different time. But Peter died by being crucified. Emperor Nero was in charge in Rome and he was lining up Christians and killing them off. His preferred execution method was the same thing that had happened to Jesus. And so, in the end, Peter got crucified. And Jesus is telling him, stretch out your arms and follow me. To crucifixion, to death, and to eternal life. That's ultimately what Peter did. So in the end, Peter got to do what he wanted to do after all, right? He wanted to stand up for Jesus. He was so passionate. He's such a big personality. He wanted to be the last man standing no matter what. He wanted to stand up for Jesus. And the first opportunity he had to do that when Jesus got arrested, Peter totally failed. But years later, it was a different story. Peter was faithful even to the point of death. And Peter did receive the crown of life. Now what about you? What does God have planned for you? I would guess probably something similar to what happened to Peter. Not getting crucified, but getting another chance. Right, Getting another chance to serve God in a place where you have failed. God does this for people because God knows how much you love him. God knows how much you want to show your love for him in your life. And so very often when you fail at things, whether it's fighting a temptation, whether it's standing up for somebody else, whether it's sharing your faith, whatever it may be, God gives you these chances back again and says, fresh start, fresh chance, try again. Over and over and over again, God is the God of second and third and fourth and tenth and hundredth Chances. Um, One of my favorite Bible verses comes from Lamentations. I know Lamentations sounds like the name of a depressing book, but this is actually a very positive, hope-filled verse. It says this, Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So think about that. God's compassions never fail. No matter how many times you feel like you have let God down, no matter how frustrated you get with your own sin, no matter how little patience you have left with yourself, God always has more patience. He always has more forgiveness. He always has more compassion. In fact, it is new every morning. Every single day, when you wake up, you wake up as a perfect, holy, sinless child of God because you're covered by the perfect, holy, sinless life of Jesus. And you get to approach your day like that, living and serving God as his child. And then when you fail, and then when you fall short, God forgives you, and you go to bed at night knowing you have God's forgiveness, and you wake up the next morning God's holy, perfect, sin-free child. This is how God looks at you every day. This is who you are every day holy, perfect, sinless in Christ. So I think the takeaway from all of this, the takeaway from Jesus' talk with Peter, the takeaway is about our attitude, right? Yes, God wants us to be aware of our sins. God wants us to repent. He wants us to take our sins and lay them at the foot of the cross. But then, he wants us to leave them there You don't leave church and put your sins back on. You don't leave your prayer with God and take your sins back on. Lay your sins at the foot of the cross and leave them there. And no moping around about how badly we have failed in the past. No worrying about what we're going to have to do to win God's trust back in the future. Because we are God's child, holy and perfect in Jesus Christ right now. And in that, we can move forward. And then like Peter we can feed his sheep. And then, like Peter, we can serve God today without being crushed by guilt from yesterday. Like Peter, every day, we get to have a fresh start. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus, your risen Savior. Amen.